Wonderful. Well, tonight, believe it or not, we are turning a page and we are in Ephesians chapter 6. For the last uh, month or so, we've been in Ephesians chapter 5, and we've been in this series that we've called The Gift of Love, and it's really built off of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, which teaches us to walk in love. And we've talked about walking in love in all sorts of different ways, and the last few weeks, we've talked about walking in love in the home, husbands and wives. And now tonight, we're talking about walking in love for children and for parents. Listen now, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And all the parents said, For this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We'll stop right there. Go ahead and have a seat. Now, this text is going to talk about not husbands and wives, but parents and children. This text, in the exact same way that Ephesians 5, it ends, talking about wives and their role in submission to their husbands, and then husbands in their role in leading and loving their wives, this now is going to talk about children and their role in obeying their parents, and then parents, and specifically fathers, their role in the way they treat their children. Now, this text, and talking about homes and talking about households and family, it, it left me thinking a little bit about the, the, the different homes that we've lived in since my wife and I have been married. We've been married, it'll be 19 years this June. It seems like it was just yesterday, right? But we've lived in four different houses since we've been married. The first place we lived, it was a basement apartment of the, this, uh, this little house that we lived in, and it was, it was perfect for newlyweds, right? Cheap rent. Uh, the, the, the people that we went and, and uh, that we moved into their house, we had to walk up outside and go around into their garage where they smoked to do our laundry. And so our laundry wasn't as fresh as, you know, we would have liked to have been. But you know, sweet couple, and it worked out wonderful for us. And it was just, it was barely anything of a footprint. And so, you know, we had a, we had a bed and we had a, a hand-me-down couch or two. And in fact, that place, it didn't even have a dishwasher. So we had a, maybe you remember these, a portable dishwasher. We hooked it up to our sink faucet to do our dish. It was, it was awesome, right? Well, then after that, after about a year, we, we actually, we were able to buy a house. It was a, a manufactured home in Federal Way, King County, uh, about 1,300 square feet. And uh, we bought this thing, and it was like uh, the j- most giant home we could have ever imagined. Just my wife and I moving into this thing until we had kids. <laughs> And by the time we moved out of it, we had gone through numerous pieces of furniture and couches. And, you know, instead of me having my own home office, we had multiple kids and rooms and all of that. And then we moved to Longview. When we moved to Longview, we moved into a, na- or a sister church there, Parsonage. And, and it was about the same size of our house up there. And we got rid of a ton of stuff so we can move down here. And so we kind of like, you know, just basically filled that little Parsonage with the stuff we already had. And then we, we bought a house. And when we bought a house here, we bought a little bit bigger house. And we had to go about furnishing it. And we did these weird things, right? We did something really strange. We had never done it before. We bought a brand new couch. I mean, just the strangest thing. We bought a new couch. We, we ended up getting another hand-me-down table. And we, we, again, we filled our house with stuff. That's what you do. You, you furnish your house. You have beds. You have couches. You have dressers. You have tables. You have chairs. You have end tables. You have all of these different things that you fill your house, house with. And yet, what we see is that the Christian house, the most important thing that you fill your home with is, is love. See, I would argue that our text today, as we look at the way children are to obey and the way we look at the way, we look at the way fathers are to lead, I would argue that the most important thing you fill your house with is love. That's my big idea tonight. Uh, anchoring this in Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, what we're going to see this evening is that the home, your home, should be full of love. You've probably heard the catchy phrase before, right? Your house is where you live, but your home, it's where you love. This is what is meant to characterize the Christian home because this is what is meant to characterize the Christian life. Now, let me ask you, what what is it you're filling your house with? You might think of your furniture. 
Maybe you have a, a dining room table that your family gathers around, or, or maybe you have a special chair that you like to sit in. Maybe you have special things, artwork on the walls that you fill your house with. But, but with all of those different material things, let me ask you, are you filling your house with the most important thing? Are you filling your home with love? Let me ask you, do you know what it looks like to fill your home with love? Children, teenagers in this room, do you know how to make sure you are bringing love into your house instead of emptying your house of love? Parents, and, and actually fathers. Tonight, we're going to talk about parents broadly, but we're, we're going to look at fathers very specifically. Are you, are you filling your home with love? With that said, let's, let's open up the text. Let's turn our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, if we have not already done so. Let's open up to Ephesians chapter 6, and let me give you a preview of tonight. Tonight, we're going to follow the text, and so we're going to begin by talking about children, and then we're going to end by talking about parents. And the whole time, I would just want your heart to be moved, thinking about what you can do to fill your home with love. Well, let's start with children. Verse 1 is going to begin with children, and so here's what it looks like for children. Children, you show love through obedience and respect. Now, I'm using the word children here. Children show love through obedience and respect. But this is really a term that applies to, to anyone that lives in the household that's not the parents. This is, this is everyone that's younger than the parents. I'm not talking to babies here. I'm not talking to someone who doesn't have an understanding of how to make decisions for themselves. I'm talking about the, the 5-year-old to the 15 to the 18-year-old. If you live in your parents' house, we're talking to you. Now, some of the teens in the room, you might not appreciate the word child, right? Maybe it feels like a derogatory term. That's not what I'm saying. This is just those who live under their parents' rule. Look with me at verses 1 through 3. Here's what the text says. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Verse 2 says, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and you may live long in the land. Now, children here. Now, I'm looking around, and I see a handful of teens. I don't think I see anyone younger than a teen here, but, but th th these next few minutes, this is for you. If you ever wonder, like, how do I show my parents I love them? God, in his word, he tells you exactly how to do that. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to make it up. You don't have to make the rules. Actually, the Lord's going to tell you. So let's walk through this. First of all, we're talking about obedience tonight. And so your obedience to your parents— I want you to understand, it's an obedience to the Lord. The command here. First of all, this command is a command to obey both of your parents. Later, it's going to talk about fathers in particular, but this says, this says both of your parents. This is not saying you have, to, you have to obey your dad, but not your mom, or you have to obey your mom, but not your dad. This isn't even saying you have to obey your parents if they're believers, but not if they're not believers. This isn't saying you have to obey your parents if they're great parents, and you don't have to obey them if they're not so great parents. This is simply saying, children, you in your home, obey your parents as in the Lord. The word obey here is the, the idea to, it's to carry out someone else's instructions. Let me give you it's just a really easy example. Mom or dad says, hey, I need you to go unload the dishwasher. And you say, in a minute, no. You say, well, can, can I do it another time? No. Y yes, mom. Yes, dad. And then you go do it. I know that's not the most complicated thing in the world, but this is exactly what it's saying. When mom and dad give you an instruction, you you carry out their orders. You obey them. And now notice, it says, in the Lord. This is why I want to emphasize it. this point, is that your obedience to your parents is your obedience to God. When you obey your parents, you're showing God that you trust him and that you believe him and that you're obeying him. When you disobey your parents, you're telling God that you don't trust him, you don't believe him, and you're not willing to obey the order of authority that he has laid out in this world. See, I want us to remember that the home is where the proper view of authority is learned. This is where we learn authority. This is what God has designed for the home. He says, the home is where a child learns authority. The home is where a child learns, ultimately, that God is the authority. Verses 2 and 3, let me just read this for you. Does this sound familiar? It says, honor your father and mother. It says, for this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. 
Now, some of you, you recognize this. This is, this is quoting the Old Testament. But this isn't just quoting any old passage in the Old Testament. This is quoting from the, what's called the Ten Commandments. Now, a number of years ago, we did a series on the Ten Commandments. And when we talked about the Ten Commandments, and there's different kinds of laws in the Old Testament, but the Ten Commandments, the reason why they're so important, the reason why they're posted in churches and they're posted in courtrooms, the reason why we should remember these and memorize them is because these Ten Commandments are what reflect God in his very character. The Ten Commandments, actually, they reflect what's called the moral law of God. When God gives the Ten Commandments, he's trying to show us who he is. Now, I don't have the time to walk through each of them tonight, but, but let's remember that this commandment right here, this is, this is the fifth commandment, and this is a commandment that oftentimes we call the hinge. Now, let me just remind you, the first four commandments, they, were, they are instructions about how to interact with God. The first four commandments, they teach us that we shall have no other God. This reminds us that God is the one and only God. The second one says that we should have no carved or graven images. This reminds us that we cannot liken God to creation because he is above creation. He is beyond creation. He is transcendent. The third commandment tells us we should not use God's name in vain. This reminds us that we cannot manipulate God through our prayers. Like if I say God's name a hundred times, then he has to answer me. No, he is God, not you. The fourth commandment reminds us to honor the Sabbath, to keep it holy, remember it. It's a day of rest as we remember our dependence on God. And in the fifth commandment, there is a shift because those first four commandments are about God and how we interact and love him. And then the next six commandments are about how we love each other. This is where we're going to get commandments like, do not murder. Why? Because God makes everyone in his image. It says, do not commit adultery. Why? Because God is the one who institutes marriage. Things like, do not steal. Why? Because God is the one who provides. Right? All of these, they reflect something about God's character. But in the very, very moment where it, the hinge happens, when it switches from talking about how we love God to how we talk about how we love man, how we love each other, is the commandment to honor your parents. Because this is... This is talking about the home. This is talking about the most important place on earth. I'm serious. The home is where you learn everything about life. The home is where you're supposed to learn everything about values. It's supposed to be the center of education. It's supposed to be the center of morals. It's supposed to be the center of hope and joy. This is the center of love. We're to fill our home with love. And in this commandment, we are instructed to honor our mother and father. Because they are our authority. And when we learn to obey them, we're learning how to obey authority. When we learn to obey them, we are learning to obey God. Now, teens in this room, there are times, I'm certain, there are times when your parents tell you to do something that you don't want to do. My teens, I know that's true about those in my house, right? There are times when you're given instructions that you do not want to do. But in that moment, when you choose to obey them, you're strengthening your muscles so that when you're out on your own and you have opportunity to obey God or to disobey God, you have already practiced under a smaller authority doing the right thing. You're learning how to obey God. This is why God calls it this such an important thing. He says, you are to you are to learn this proper view of authority. And you learn it by honoring your father and your mother. Now, it's interesting, this word honor. I think it's personal opinion. I think God calls teenagers and, and children to honor their father and mother because teenagers have a front row seat to all of their parents' weaknesses. <laughs> teenagers, you know your parents' failures. You've seen their sin. You've seen when they have a, a short temper or when they maybe they wash something they shouldn't. You, you see those moments when they, they're not living the godly life that they want to live, but, but in the, they're weak, and so they don't always do it perfectly. And listen, because of that, you can discredit, you can justify discrediting everything about them, and you can say, I'm not going to honor them. I know I've got dirt on them. Now, hopefully it's not a lot. And hopefully your parents are walking in repentance and they're striving to live a godly life. Listen, every, no one here is perfect. 
But the question is, how do you interact with that dirt you have on them? Do you let that be your excuse for disobedience and dishonoring? Do you look for those right moments to disobey or dishonor, maybe publicly, because you could shame your parent? Or do you honor them as the authority given by God? See, the home is where the proper view of authority is learned. It's where it's practiced. But, but this also means the home is where the improper view of authority is learned. The home is where the wrong view of authority is learned. I don't know about you. I'm sure like many of you, but I am grieved by, by the cultural condition that we live in. We seem to live in a world where I read stories of college students that mock and rebel against their, par- or their professors because their professors don't do or say or teach what they want. Uh, many young people, they identify with the anarchy of Antifa and, and, and they, they think that there is no authority beside themselves today. I see news stories of shoplifters that that operate without remorse and and of people with no respect toward law enforcement. There's this general ethos of no one can tell me what to do. You see that in our culture? Are you grieved by that? Before we started homeschooling our kids, I remember one parent-teacher conference where we were talking to one of our kids' teachers and she just admitted to me, she said, I'll be honest, most of my day is managing misbehavior and not teaching children. Where's, where's all this disrespect for authority learned? Where's it, where's it cultivated? Where's it fostered? I would argue that this all comes from the home. Where children from a young age, they learn that they can get away with anything they want to give, get away with as long as they throw a big enough fit or as long as they're persistent in their rebellion. If, if they keep pushing and they keep pressing, sooner or later they will break the will of their mom or their dad. And in that moment, the child, the child's become the authority. They disrespect and they reject authority in the home. And so they, they, they enter into a culture where they disrespect and they reject the authority of their school or of their country, of their government. But ultimately, I want you to see all of this means that they disrespect and they reject the authority of, of who? Of God. Parents, I haven't even turned toward you yet, but I have to ask the question. Are you training your children to obey and respect authority? Do they understand the lines that need to be drawn? Are they learning to honor you? This is your responsibility to teach, and we'll see that in a minute. See, back to teens, back to children. Your, your obedience to your parents is obedience to God. I want to make that very clear. But, but here's what I also want to say. This might seem like a, a heavy-handed, like, you will obey, right? But here's what I want you to see in the text, secondly. Your respect to your parents comes with blessing from God. This passage, it quotes the Old Testament. It quotes Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. This is the, the, the fifth commandment. It says, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God gives you. You know, Paul makes the point. He says, "This is this is the first promise that, or the first commandment that comes with a promise. This is literally a promise from God that says, when you when you operate under the authority of your parents, when you respect them, when you honor them, when you obey them, that comes with a a specific promise. That comes with a blessing to you." Now, now, the promise here, this is, this is the, the general principle that when you live in faithfulness to God's ways, life works better. This is the general principle. This is like when you, when you have anything that is, has a design. If you use something based on its design, it's going to work better. Let me give you an example. Take your car. Your car is designed to work with oil in it, Right? Go, go home tonight, take all the oil out of your car, don't even put a new filter on it, you don't need it, right? And then drive it around for a few days and see what happens. Well, you, you probably know what's going to happen. You're going to burn your engine up and it's not going to work at all. Well, listen, that oil, teenagers, 
That oil is the same exact thing as your respect and your obedience to your parents. You learn to respect and obey your parents, and your life is going to work, generally speaking, it's going to work well. Your, your engine will run the way it's meant to. But, but if you choose to disrespect and disobey your parents, I'm going to tell you, you're running your life without the oil in the engine. You will find yourself having heartache. You will find yourself experiencing drama and trauma. You will find yourself in more trouble than you know what to do with. Why? Because this is, this is God's design. This is not, I'm not, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, right? This is not some kind of rocket science where I'm figuring things out. Like this is a secret that I've discovered and I'm going to share it with you. Look, at the, No, this, this, God designed it to work in the most simple way possible. He created parents to be the authority in the home. And when you learn to live under their authority, that means the rest of your life, you will learn to live under God's authority and your life will generally speaking work out, it'll work out better. Now, this doesn't guarantee you're never going to have a disease. This doesn't guarantee you're never going to make a mistake. This does not guarantee that tragedy will not come to your life. But this is a general principle for you in your life. Your life will work out so much better. You will experience a blessing from God when you, when you honor, when you obey, and when you respect your parents. Teenagers in this room. I think my message is clear to you, right? If you want to fill your home with love, if you want to, Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, if you want to do that, you must set your heart and mind on obedience. And sometimes that's hard. (laughs) Sometimes that means you're not going to do what you want to do. Sometimes you're going to have to sacrifice. You must obey. Now, the last thing I'm going to say to teens, the, the same boundaries apply as, as what the boundaries we talked about a few weeks ago. When you obey, you obey in everything minus things that dishonor God. <laughs> if your parents tell you to do things that are against God's word and against God's law, you are under no obligation to do that. If your parents tell you to do things that cause harm and hurt to yourself or to others, you are under no obligation to do that. But generally speaking, most parents don't ever tell their kids to do those kind of things. Well, I think teenagers, we can let you off the hook now. But let's move on to parents. If the teenagers, if they, if they fill the home, if they bring love into the home through their respect and through obedience, then parents, parents show love through, here it is, discipline and instruction. I know teenagers were hoping it was going to be like, parents show love by like monetary gifts and keys to cars, right? Like that's what we were hoping for. But according to the word of God, parents, you walk in love. This is all extended from that beginning of Ephesians 5. You walk in love by showing discipline and instruction. Verse 4, fathers, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, let's, let's break this down. First thing I want to say here, I want to be very clear. Fathers must lead. Fathers must lead. This is not saying fathers and mothers. This is not necessarily saying that mothers should not lead here. But, but what this is saying is narrowly focusing fathers, their job is to lead in the home, and they do this with discipline and instruction. Now, again, I'm going to argue, I'm going to argue based on the way we're created, what we've seen so far in Ephesians chapter 5, what we've seen with a husband in his role and a wife in her role, what we've seen in different passages like 1 Peter 3 and the different responsibilities and the way that works this way out. This just simply reminds us, fathers, you have this job of leading. This is how you, what you were made for. And mothers, you have this job of nurturing. And this just is, this is how we're made. Generally speaking, we don't have to tell moms, hey, mom, you need to nurture your child. <laughs> generally speaking, this is, this is generally how moms operate. Now, do you need to grow in that? I'm certain you do. 
And does this this mean that fathers never nurture? No, absolutely not. And does this mean that mothers, they never lead? No, absolutely not. But what this text is doing is it's reminding us that there's a, a certain weight of responsibility that rests on the shoulders of the dads of the fathers. Fathers must lead. Why is this so important? Let me ask you. How does the first member of the triune God identify himself? God the Father. Do you realize that a, a father in the home, it, it's, a, it's a micro version of the Heavenly Father? You realize that dads, this responsibility, this this high calling that you have, this is a calling for you to reflect the character of God the Father? I mean, many of us in this room were from broken homes. Many of us in this room, when we think about our dad, the last thing we think about is the character of God the Father. Maybe it's the opposite for you. Maybe you think about God the Father and you think of your dad and you see these parallels that are so clear. But this is, this is your calling. Dads in this room, you are to be a representative of God the Father to your family. What a calling. But what a responsibility. This is why the text gives you some very clear instructions. Here's where verse 4 begins. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now I want you to remember, this is written first century under Roman rule and under Roman law. In the first century under Roman law, there was something called the patria potestas which simply is translated father power, which gave the father of a household absolute and unlimited authority over his child. This means a a father could sell his child into slavery. Just like that. Teenagers, you should be thinking about this when you're annoying to your dad, right? Like, To its extreme, the father could kill their child without, without any repercussion. In fact, in Roman customs in this time, a child, if a child was born, presented to the father, placed before the father, the father in that moment, he would have a choice. If he picked the child up, he would bring it into the household and it would be his child. But if he choose, choose, chose in that moment to reject the child, he could leave it right there and that child would be, it would be gotten rid of. This is the kind of rule he had. So when Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes to fathers, and he says, do not provoke your children to anger, I want you to understand this in context. He's speaking to fathers who had absolute rule over their kids. And listen, their rule meant that they really didn't have to worry a single moment about how their kids felt about any decision they made. You think your parents telling you to clean your room is tough. A father could instruct his child to do anything. But, but look, this text is saying, fathers, you are, to, you are to lead, you are to parent in such a way that you are considering the impact it's having on your child. Do not provoke your child to anger. This is the idea of, of do not lead, do not father in a way that your, your kid has this, this unresolved angst because of the injustice of the way you lead. This isn't saying that you are to be a pushover and let your child have anything and everything they want. This is saying that you should not, you should not provoke this unresolved angst because of you, the way you are unjust or unfair or unreasonable to your child. Now, really, this text, it, it, it says, don't, don't aim your children at anger. Do not aim them at anger. Now, we don't have this uh, patria potestas these days. Bummer, huh? <laughs> we don't have that today, but, but I think we can aim our children anger in some, some really tragic ways. 
Let me give you two kinds of dads that I think in our world today aim their children in anger. Here's the first one. Distant dads aim their children in anger. This is the dad that maybe you provide for your family, maybe you work hard for your family, but you come home and you check out completely. You're not there relationally for your children. You count yourself a good dad because of the way you take care of the physical, material things for your child, but you're distant. You're not connecting with them relationally. You're not interested in anything they're doing. You're not investing in, their, in them spiritually. You're not praying with them and for them. You're not opening up the word of God for them. You, you guys, you live in the same house, but you are not connecting. You are not engaging in their lifestyle. You are not investing in them at all. Now, distant dads, I, I'll tell you what, you're going to provoke your children to anger. And it may take a long time for that anger to boil up and over. That, that anger might not show up until they're out of your house. But guess what? Once they're out of your house, you might not see them very often. Your, your distance is going to lead to their distance. And, and the worst case scenario, your distance will translate in their heart and mind to God the Father being distant. So it might not be that they, they don't come and visit you very often. It might end up being that they don't even regard God the Father very often. Distant dads provoke their children to anger. Here's the second one. If on one end of the spectrum is distant dads, the other end is, is domineering dads. Domineering dads provoke their children to anger. The domineering dad is the dad that can't be reasoned with my way or the highway every single time. The domineering dad is a dad that has his thumb on his household and everyone walks around on eggshells because dad can get angry at the drop of a hat. The domineering dad is quick to raise his voice. The domineering dad has his unfair expectations. He emphasizes the responsibilities of a child, but very rarely gives the true privileges to a child. And the domineering dad, just like the distant dad, provokes their child to anger. Now, typically, a domineering dad's going to see the anger of the child. It will come out sideways toward their siblings, or it will come out sideways toward their mom, or it will come out sideways in school. And, and the sad part here is that domineering dads, they, they tend to raise domineering kids. Yeah, they tend to raise kids that have the same kind of anger. They don't rest in the peace of the Lord. The text says, do not provoke your children to anger. Fathers, do not aim your children at anger. Let me, let me give you an alternative. Instead of being distant, and instead of being domineering, I, I, I think the scripture is calling you to be a devoted dad. See, see, devoted dads, they aim their children at the Lord. Look back with me at verse 4. Devoted dads, they aim their children at the Lord. Verse 4 says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but, here's the alternative, here's the opposite action, but bring them up, raise them, tend to them, cultivate them, how? In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The key word here is of the Lord. Discipline is the idea of, of showing or training in what is right. Instruction is a little bit more corrective. It's, it's showing what has gone wrong in the life, what, it, what is wrong belief or what is wrong action. Take these together. What a, what a dad's job is to do is they were to discipline. Let me train you in what is right, and they are to instruct you. Let me show you what you need to avoid and what is wrong. When we were driving over here, I was quizzing my kids. We had a strange day. We had a day where our whole family drove to church together. It happens like twice a year, right? Very rarely do we all come in the same car. But today we did. And as we did, I, I was talking to my kids and I was like, okay, well, you know, what book of the Bible are we, we preaching in? And they, they knew. I was like, okay, I'm not failing completely, right? I'm like, well, well, what's our series on? And they kind of knew. And I said, well, you know what our next thing is? Our next thing is, uh, is we're talking about parents. We're talking about children tonight. And I'm, I'm going to talk about how a dad's role is to, to instruct and discipline. And I said, you, you guys know what that means? And Jaden goes, squatting. No, actually, I think he said deadlifts, right? But he's exactly right. He, he is actually exactly right. 
Because when you go to the gym and you do a lift like deadlifts, you don't just go in there and do it like randomly. Like, I think I'm going to hold it like this. I'm just going to like yank this bar. Like, no, you have to be disciplined in doing it the right way. If you don't, you hurt your back and have to have surgery in 10 days. Sorry. Fathers. You are to discipline your children in the Lord. This means you are to proactively be showing them, here's how to live your life. Here is God's standard. Here are the morals that you should understand. Here is how you should live. Here's how you should uh, tell the truth at all times. Here's how you should treat a woman. Here's how you should respect a man. You should be pro. This is not, this is not I'm in the back seat. This is a, I am in the driver's seat, and I am showing my child how they are to live their life. This is discipline. The other side of that is instruction. Instruction is this, this, let me correct you, let me, let me instruct you, let me, let, me, let me guide you in a different direction. This is when you see your child living their life or, or leaning toward living their life in a way that is not honoring to the Lord. This is when you come around and you say, well, let's, let's divert the way we're going. Let's, let's change the way we're thinking. Let's change our attitude. Let's change our priorities. Let's live a different way. Discipline and instruction. And notice that phrase, in the Lord. It's not subjective. It's not choose your own adventure. It's not, dad, you get to decide what you think is best for your kid. No, it's, dad, your job is to train and to disciple your child so they can know, so they can know the Lord. This is the calling you have. This word discipline, it's used numerous times in Scripture. I, I just want to read for you. I'm not going to preach this whole text, but I want to read for you Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. This is such an important text for fathers. This is such an important text for our faith. Hebrews 12, verse 5, it says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? I'm talking about this is just the, the scripture that's describing how those in Christ, all of us, men and women are like, we're, we're considered to be children of God, sons of God. Look where it continues, though. It says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Look at this. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? Time out. This text is teaching us that God the father treats us as his children. And you know what he does? He corrects us. He guides us. When we start to go on the wrong path, he starts to guide us back to the right path. And sometimes he does that in ways that feels a little bit like discipline, right? Let me continue. Verse 8. If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Let me, just, let me just make this observation very clear. God the Father disciplines us, and we might not like it, but his discipline of us is him showing us that we are his children if he were to not discipline us, he would be saying, you're not mine. Now, now, fathers, I want you to understand how important it is for you to discipline and instruct your children. I just used two examples a moment ago. I had the example of the distant dad who does not discipline his children. Why? He can give us a million reasons, but you know what the real reason is? He doesn't actually love them. Maybe he, he needs to learn to. Maybe he wants to. Maybe he hasn't figured it out yet. But according to this text, this is to treat your child like they're illegitimate. Verse 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. I love that clause right there. It just takes the pressure off. You know what? We do the best we can. 
Sometimes you fail. Sometimes you hit a home run. You're, you're figuring it out, but God's faithful, right? But he, God the Father, disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Nine times in these verses, we have the word discipline. And you know what the result is of God the Father disciplining us? That last verse, the peaceful fruit of righteousness to all who have been trained by it. By discipline. Dad's in the room. You know what your goal is with your children? To to see the peaceful fruit of righteousness. For them to know the Lord. For them to know his grace. For them to know his truth. And then to walk in that. For them to have their engine oiled. For life to work correctly for them as they learn to live life under your authority and under your discipline. Devoted dads. Not distant dads, not domineering dads, but devoted dads, they aim their children at the Lord. What does this look like? Let me bring this to some practical application, and then we'll start to bring it to an end. What does this look like? I think, first of all, this means dads, it's your job to set and explain standards clearly. Let me repeat myself. Dads in this room, And this is not isolated from your wife. You should do this in conjunction with her. But you must set and explain standards clearly. One of the worst things is is to have moving standards or to have unclear standards for your children. If it seems like every day there's a different set of rules, your kids are going to be aimed at anger. You You must figure out what is it that we are going to, in the Lord, instruct our children toward, and and I'm going to make this abundantly clear to my children. I'm going to give you one approach here. I'm going to give you the approach that we use in my household. This is not the gospel. This is not the gospel truth. You might have a better way, and that's great. But but this has been what we've done for a number of years, and, and it helps us not parent perfectly, but it helps us to do this. We set and we explain our standards clearly. In our household, we have three words that we go to as our core values, and every correction comes back to one of these words. Every single time our kids are corrected, we're correcting them along the lines of one of these words. Here's the first word. The first word is the word respect. Respect. When we teach about respect, what we're teaching is that they, they, are, to, they are to have love for the authority in their life. When they respect, they are to respect mom's words and dad's words. This means that they obey us, and we teach that they obey immediately. And if they don't obey immediately, that's disobedience. So here's what it looks like, and and I'm going to use my youngest as an example, because if you teach them when they're young, as as they get older, it gets easier. My older ones aren't perfect, but I try not to share about them too much, right? So my youngest, you need to go clean up your Legos. Legos. Okay, dad, but he keeps doing the opposite thing. Asher, did you hear me? All I have to say at this moment is, Asher, did you hear me? And he jumps to it. Because he knows the next thing I'm going to say is, you're not being respectful, you're not obeying immediately. He he learns to get right after it right away. When Jaden was eight, he learned the same thing. When Michaela was eight, she learned the same thing. If he was to continue in disrespect, there would be a conversation in his bedroom. In our household, a young child would be spanked for disrespect. Doesn't happen very often. You want to know why it doesn't happen very often? Because it happens often enough. (laughs) And he learns. And he respects. As kids get older, it's uh, it's less, um, they're not doing what they're told, but they might drag their feet, or sometimes their, their language might not be appropriate toward their parent. Oftentimes we'll say things like this. Do you want to try that again? you want to try that again? In that moment, they have an opportunity to, to correct. And, and I'll tell you what, 90% of the time they do. Because they know we're going to say, that's not respectful. This is a standard we have set. And if they do not meet the standard, th- th- there's consequences. There, there's discipline. Now, uh, this is a, an appropriate place to explain the difference between discipline and punishment. 
And we tell our kids all the time, our, our goal is not to punish you. Our, our goal is not to take things away. In fact, I, I, I tell my kids, my job as a dad is to say no. My joy as a dad is to say yes. <laughs> I say, if you do what you're supposed to do, I will say yes most often. But if you don't do what you're supposed to do, I will say no most often. And so our first word is respect. Our second word is responsibility. Responsibility. When we teach this to our kids, we say this is, this is really loving yourself. So to be responsible means that they have, to, they have to do their chores. To be responsible means they have to do their schoolwork. To be responsible means that they have to take care of general things in the house, right? If, if there's something that they can help with, part of being responsible is if they see something in the house they can help with, they should help with it. Now, with responsibility comes privilege. And we teach them this. We see those two words go hand in hand, responsibility and privilege. The more responsible you are, the more privilege we'll give you. And again, it's our joy to give you as much privilege as possible. So responsibilities don't get done. Privileges don't happen. And I hate it when privileges don't happen. It it stings for me, but it stings for them more. And guess what happens after their privileges don't happen? Their responsibilities get done. It's how it works. So, so responsibility is them loving themselves, them taking care of themselves. Third word is kindness. Respect is loving your authority. Responsibility is loving yourself. And then kindness, well, it's loving others. That's being kind to your brother or your sister. That's, that's not uh, being selfish at the dinner table. That's looking for ways to serve one another. That's contributing in a meaningful way relationally with one another. Responsibility, or respect, responsibility, and kindness. Listen, every time there's a correction in our house, what we do is we sit down and we say, listen, you were not respectful, or you were not responsible, or you were not kind. Now, you might have a better way. You, you might use different words. That is completely fine. I'm not trying to say this is what you have to subscribe to, but, but I'm just trying to give you some handles Dads especially, your job is to set and explain standards clearly. I'm going to tell you, it makes parenting so much easier when I can look my kid in the eye and say, here's where you messed up, you were not respectful. Instead of saying, I just didn't like what you did. (laughs) I can say, you were not respectful. And it brings such clarity. It helps kids succeed and it helps me (laughs) parent well. It helps me not parent emotionally. So first of all, set and explain standards clearly. Secondly, share and explain the gospel clearly. Share and explain the gospel clearly. You know, as I was writing the sermon, I, I realized one of the worst things I could do is to tell you to set, set clear expectations and have you go home and have this, this moral standard that your kids have to meet. And if they meet it, they're doing good. And if they don't meet it, they're doing bad. And then you leave here with this, this moral idea, which is really helpful, but you leave here without remembering that your chief responsibility is to do this in the Lord. This means your kids are going to fail. My kids are going to fail. This means, parents, you are going to mess up. I am going to mess up. But we must always remember that our, our mess up, our sin, our failure is not what defines us. What defines us is grace and truth. This is what the gospel is all about. The truth is, yeah, you've messed up. Yeah, you've been irresponsible. Yeah, you've been disrespectful. Yeah, you've been unloving. You've been disobedient. Whatever it is, you have sinned. But in those moments, you haven't just sinned against me. In those moments, you have sinned against God Almighty. And I want you to know that there is not just the truth of your sin. There is the grace found in Jesus Christ. You realize when you discipline your kids, you can remind them all every time, Jesus died for your sin. Jesus died for this disobedience. Jesus died for this, this failure to be faithful in whatever responsibility. He paid the price for it. He, God has forgiven it in Christ. Guess what? I'm going to forgive it as well. You teach your kids how to repent, how to apologize, how to say they're sorry. Grace and truth. A parent's Instruction and discipline. Fathers, instruction and discipline. Children, obedience and respect. You realize this is what it looks like for all of us to fill our homes 
with love. Father, I pray for these homes. I pray that there were some helpful applications tonight as we have considered the, the way you have designed the family to work. Father, I pray for the teenagers in this room tonight. I pray that they would be moved with a conviction to live in obedience and respect to their parents. I pray that they would see it's like the oil in the car engine. It would make their life work so much better. Father, I pray for the parents in this room. And Lord, I especially pray for the fathers. I pray that you would inspire and convict them to instruct and discipline their children in the Lord. Lord, may we not be fathers who are distant or domineering, but instead let us be so devoted to our children that we are in the game. We are, we are knowing them, we are loving them, that we are setting those clear boundaries and expectations and we are making it so clear. And Lord, may we do this always with the foundation that Jesus died and rose again with his grace covering us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, to bring this to a conclusion, we are going to share in communion. And this is a moment for everyone who is trusted in Jesus and his death and resurrection. This is not for those who are yet to believe. If that's you, I just encourage you to, to observe. But listen, this is not for someone who comes in here saying, I'm, I'm, I've had a perfect week. I, I've never messed up this week. Listen, this is a moment where we repent of our sin. We remember that Jesus paid the price fully. And then we rejoice in that. So brothers and sisters, I want to invite you to come to the table, collect the elements, and take them back to your seat with you. After everyone has them, I will come up and we will share in communion together. The, the table is now open. Let's give thanks for his body broken and his blood shed. Father, we, we rejoice that we can call you Father, that we are your children, and we have been made your children not by, uh, not by birth, not by flesh, not by good works, but because of Christ. Because of his body broken on our behalf and because of his blood shed. Because he died and rose again. We now, by faith, have been forgiven and we have been adopted into your family as your children. Father, we thank you and we pray that you would turn us from these worldly affections. You would turn us away from the, the, the sin that so easily weighs us down. And we would turn toward Christ in faith, trusting him, rejoicing in his gift, and, and walking in holiness, walking in love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord Jesus said, breaking the bread, he says, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the covenant in my blood. He says, his blood is for the forgiveness of sin. He says, do this in remembrance of me.